Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to The Forum. Welcome everyone to The Spiritual Forum. I'm so glad you're here. It's a kind of cloudy day here in Wisconsin. Fall is here. It's my favorite season, so happy to be alive today. I want to just remind you all that I'll be going off SoundCloud in the next weeks or months. And so if you're listening to me that way, I'd really appreciate if you'd move over to YouTube or Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite podcast apps because I might disappear off SoundCloud. Also want to thank everyone who has donated, and I'm just two weeks away from my own retreat. By the time this airs, it probably will be my retreat week. I'm not sure, but really looking forward to those listeners who are coming to the retreat, looking forward to meeting you in person. And last, thank you for spending just a little extra time providing a rating and review of this show. Really, really helps get the visibility up, and this being a voice of hope, awakening, and inspiration in the world, we know that the world could use a little dose of that. So uh, it's, it's a good thing to contribute to. Just really happy to be a happy vibration in the world. Let me introduce my guest. He's a former builder turned chaplain and then charity chief executive. Robert Weichs now writes on spirituality and faith. In his younger days, he took a trip across Europe, Iran, Pakistan, and India, exploring life and purpose. This pushes worldview and faith into new dimensions, some of which are woven into his writing. Rob trained at two colleges, first in biblical studies and then postgraduate in applied theology. He's a regular speaker in churches of all denominations and has presented in the Houses of Parliament and several Bible colleges, including Calvary College in California. Today, we'll be focusing our conversation on the ideas and the experiences that are cataloged in his recently published book that is called Pause, A Spiritual Power, Discovering the Entrance to Our Spirituality. Welcome, Rob. Great to be with you. It is great to have you here today. Just to tell a little secret to all of our listeners, this is our re-record because we had some technical difficulties. So I just know that this is all divinely inspired that we're here again today to talk about your life, your book, your ministry. There's so much richness to it. I know people are really going to benefit from this conversation. I was going to say that before we start into life, your life story, could you encapsulate your message for the listeners so that people know why this is such an interesting podcast to listen to? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. And the reason I wrote um, the book is I'm excited that there's something more about us than just, just our thoughts, some of which are great and creative and stimulating, and our body. And, and some of us have got great bodies and some of us haven't. But it was the discovery and the ongoing discovery that we are so much more than our mind and our body. And that that more bit, um, which is what we'll talk about in the podcast, that more bit is that spirit inside us, that spirit that makes us perhaps, I, I would say, makes us absolutely human. And at the same time, perhaps close to the divine and transcendent. So, yeah, that's my message is there's much, much more to us than that meets the eye and the ear. Yeah, I think when we awaken to that, everything it changes for us personally, and the whole world will change as more and more of us awaken to that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey? I think, I think it's really, really interesting, your trek across Europe and whatnot. So why don't we just hear about how you got to where you are today, writing this particular book and sharing this message? Yeah, sure. So I'm very much an ordinary guy. I grew up in a very ordinary household. I've got three sisters. Mom and dad were very industrial and working class. We use that phrase a lot. In fact, I grew up in a house where I have absolutely no memory of a book. I don't believe I saw my mum reading a book until she was probably in her 50s. And my father never read a book. He, he really struggled with his literacy. And I went to through the whole school system struggling. 
I don't know how relevant you might think that is, but it is quite ironic that when I left school, my housemaster wrote in my report that I would, he wrote, Wikes is an amiable lad, but functionally illiterate. And here I am speaking to you about a book that I've written. It's actually my second book. So yeah, that reminds me again of all the possibilities, incredible possibilities for us as humans. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of bumbled through life. I went into the building trade straight from school, really, learning to work with my hands and not my head. But then I had this incredible experience just as I was in my very early 20s, 1920. Um, I was invited along to a church, a service at a Christian church, and I had no context for that. My parents didn't go to church. My mum was, she was excited always to tell us that she was a lapsed Catholic. And she, she seemed to get more out of being lapsed than being in, as it were. But, um, <laughs> We all have our story. So I, I went along to this service. I just remember I'd never considered or thought about a spirituality. I'd never imagined that I was any more than, you know, the, the wood that I was sawing and the conversations I had. And, and I watched this baptism take place. It was a, a very lively church. I think I would describe it as what you would call a happy, clappy church. But all these people around this mini swimming pool it looked to me like drowning this young man <laughs> who seemed very willing to go under <laughs> thankfully they did bring him back up but I remember watching this and in a sense I first thought oh this is really odd what have these people got or what are these people on I did wonder if they'd smoke something on their way in but clearly not and I had this what I now describe as my first ever encounter with what I would call the spiritual realm. I had a, I describe as an outer body experience. I, I know I was physically in the room, but I sensed that I wasn't. I was outside of it looking in. I, I would say that I heard a voice, but not audibly. Something spoke to some part of me. And that was really the trigger. Something outside of me spoke to something inside of me which was not speaking to my mind, my intellect, or my emotions. And that's what started the whole, the whole ball game for me. I then, first thing I did was buy a Bible, because I thought that's what you've got to do. You know, everybody had a big black Bible under their arm. <laughs> um, thought, thankfully, I didn't then go and buy a tie and a jacket and uh, try and get my hair cut to look the same as everyone else. But So I went, and how odd, I bought a Bible and a ticket to Athens. So a very strange thing to do. And I set off. I, I travelled to Athens on a bus and a coach. And when I got there, I travelled around the islands of Greece. Then I went to Turkey. Again, just being drawn along. And I ended up in, from Turkey, I went into Iran and then Pakistan. And it's a bit like being warmed up to something. You know, you leave the West and go into the East. And it's a progression but the real progression wasn't the smell of curry or, you know, the spices. It was the culture and the religion. And beginning to see, for me, that there were people from cultures and religious perspectives I'd never imagined that were experiencing and discussing something which was deep and profound and non-intellectual. And I, I just wanted to know. I really, and I still want to know, as it were. And that was my... That was part of my big, big journey into discovering and being awakened to spirituality. And then I returned to England, which is where I'm from, where I'm sitting now, and met a beautiful woman and got married. And, you know, we've got two lovely daughters and three grandchildren. And both of us wanted to do something with our lives. Both of us are spiritually minded. So off we went to Bible college. And as you said in your intro, you know, I I've had a go at studying. I've had a go at looking at the books and listening to the theologians. And interestingly, I've circled back to the reality that it's not all found in books and it's not all about what we believe. It's much, much more profound than that. So, yeah. And I actually I live in currently I'm in a place called Crewe, which is in the middle of the UK. I came here as a railway chaplain. So I went to share the message of the gospel, as it were, in one sense but also just the kindness of what it's like to be a human um, with men and women that work on the railway system. And then from there, I took over an old church building. And for nearly 25 years, I was the CEO of a 
of a charity that, you know, I had the privilege of seeing grow. And again, part of my story, a big, big part of my story is that I spent a huge chunk of my life with mostly men and women who had got broken lives. And so my my job, my calling was to give them food when they were hungry, help them find somewhere to live when they were homeless. But, you know, I, I knew there was more that they could experience as I was experiencing it. And so that's part of my thirst. Interesting. There's so much to pull out of that. But one of the things I'm really curious about is, is having this kind of out-of-body spiritual experience at a happy, clappy church, because it's not where I'd expect it. You know, it's like, there's so much going on there. And, and to have you have some profound spiritual experience is really interesting. The, the next thing, though, is when you went to go, you said you bought your Bible and then a text to Greece? Yes. Yes. And now, can I explain that? I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. I'm getting old and grave. But yeah, when I, I went, basically, I went down to the the centre of the city where I, I lived and grew up, a place called Coventry. And I went to the, the, the kind of classic Christian bookshop that was in the middle of town. I bought an NIV uh, Bible. And so in those days, it was brand new as well. It was a new, a new, new translation. And I bought that that Bible, not sure why, but everybody else had one that was in this new circle that I, I sort of got to know. And then I went to the bus station and I, I cannot explain in simple terms why I bought a ticket to Greece. I think I dis- I instinctively knew I wanted or I needed to just go and see what's going on in the world. And that's probably why I'm sat here now, because I'm not the kind of person that that has curiosity on the armchair. I, I always put it into action. So, yeah, I bought a ticket to Athens. And did I did I know I'd end up in India? No. I mean, did I know I'd live in India for nearly a year? No. I, I just knew I was going somewhere. And, you know, what a great privilege in life when these almost unplanned things take us. Um, which lends itself to spirituality because spirituality ultimately is a journey of, well, for many of us, it's a journey of faith. It's a mystery. When I speak about spirituality, I'm very conscious that it's an abstract subject. And so, you know, you and I and, and, and those who are listening, we will we will spend hours sometimes trying to explain in words all the tools we have in our box, what we mean. And yet we get to the end of it and say, well, I can't I can't nail it. It just is. So, yeah, for me, it was about discovering. But that that idea of mystery and the mystical and the abstract really gets me. I remember, in fact, in, in Pause of Spiritual Power, the book, I do explore this whole business of categories. We we sometimes want to categorize everything. That's a very Western thing, too. So one of the things that, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is, you know, that a child comes home from school and a mother might instinctively look at her and think something isn't right. So, you know, the first question is, are you sick? You know, have you got a poorly stomach? Have you got a bad head? No, fine. Has something happened? Have you fallen out with your friends? Are you upset? No. And what happens is the mother will go through these different categories to somehow pin down what she assumes is going on. Now, if you apply that to us as spiritual beings, we don't have the categories to pin it down. So we're doing the best we can with what we got, but we don't quite, we don't quite, I think nail it is the, is the word I would, yeah, we don't quite nail it. In fact, there's a guy called Haphold, wrote many, many books about spirituality, and he describes um, mystics. And I think if you're a spiritual person, you're a mystic in some ways, because that's what it's about. And he, he describes it like this. He says the mystic experience or experiences, he says, a, a world that's beyond uh, of something which, uh, though it is interwoven, a great phrase, it's interwoven with everything we know. It's not part of that external material phenomena. So what he, he when I read that, I just thought, wow, he's nailed it. What he's describing is that you and I have an aspect of our being, which I call the spirit within us, which is, of course, part of us, which is why we use mind, body, spirit. 
But actually, the spirit isn't linked in the same way or categorized in the same way as the mind and the body. So when we start to discuss it, we almost fall foul of our words. But I think I have some answers to that in the book. <laughs> yeah, well, I want to do, I do want to go into your book, but what you're talking about sounds a little bit like Newtonian physics versus quantum. You know, it's like one way we're defining these things and the other is just a lot more mysterious. <laughs> I love what you say. It's, it, it is mystical. So a lot of people get stuck at the book reading, like you began to say. We, it's not about reading books, but a lot of people who enter into, quote, spiritual life, get book after book after book, and they can have a library of all these spiritual books. And have you read so-and-so, and you've been taking this class? And, and, and that's kind of a, a one place. It's one resting place that we are on a spiritual journey where we're looking for information and looking for teachers and looking for, for ways of, of categorizing or creating models of reality. And then at some point, you get exhausted. At some point, that's not really feeding you. That's not really where it is. It's in the next step, which is in the surrendering to this mystery, this unknown that took you all the way to India. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, I, my, I can respond to that straight away because I, I, I distinctly remember a point in my own life when I came to realize, but I, I originally thought that spirituality was what I believed. And then I, I thought it was what I did, which, which about sums up my life in some ways, because I went off to Bible college to establish what I believed. And of course, it didn't do It's exactly what you said. It, it doesn't feed what it was I was after. And then I spent a chunk of my life in it really running a charity, doing stuff, helping the poor, feeding the hungry. And again, it, it didn't it, it wasn't spirituality. It doesn't mean they're not part of the journey, but it, it just wasn't. I get wasn't quite it. And and I I started to read, which is you do have to read. I completely agree with you. We all read endless books or go on courses and, and whatever we do. They're good things because they're part of the journey, but they're not the thing, are they? And I think that that's why I think finding spirituality in some ways is about finding the spirit in us, not the answer in a book. And, it's, mm -hmm. and because it's not intellectual, what we're often doing is we're growing the brain and we're growing our thoughts and our ideas. We're not actually interacting with our own spirit. Another, I mean, I'm going to, I'm a terrible for quoting other people. I'll probably never sell a book in my life. I, I'm going to convince everybody else to read other books. But um, there's a guy called Bede Griffiths who actually was in India, a great, a great teen monk. And he wrote some very interesting, small, interesting books about spirituality and it's certainly about the mind and the body which are not where the spirit resides that would be his theory and i just i just read to you a, a very brief comment because he of course is talking about god which often we do and he said this your natural senses and really important to listen to this your natural senses cannot possess God or unite you to God. And I would say you could change that for your natural senses can't can't establish a, a, a link with your spirit. And then he went on to say, um, so your your inward faculties, your understanding, your will, your memory can only reach after God, but they cannot be the place of God's habitation. And I love that because it reminds me that I will read books, I will pray, I will do these things, but those are, that's not where the spirit resides. It's beyond those things, which is why for me, pause, it's really important, I think, to say this, that when I use the phrase pause, to pause is a power, and I use that, that's the name of the book, pause, a spiritual power. To pause is a spiritual power because I think we are, we're not thinking about what we stop when we pause. We're really talking about what happens after. So, you know, another great illustration is my grandson sits on the settee with me. He used to anyway, regularly. He's grown up a bit more now. Um, and we watch actually Home Alone for the 99th time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's classic. And he would, he would press the pause button, go to the toilet, ring his mum to check he can stop overnight and establish something with her, 
sit back down and press the pause button and we'd start the film again. So when I say the word pause, I'm not talking about the film and it not carrying on. I'm talking about what happens beyond it. So when I say a spiritual pause, I mean, some people get confused and say, do you mean meditation or contemplation? Do you mean mindfulness? And I say, no, those are vehicles. Those are things that might help us get to the place of pause. But pause is when we've entered into the spirit within us. And it's not intellectual. It's not easily described. It is abstract. It is a mystery. But it's a certainty for those that experience it. And I know that I'll be speaking and there'll be people listening to me now. And there'll be some people will say, I know exactly what you mean. And some people will say, well, I've tried and tried and tried and I just can't work it out. And when you get to the end of working it out, you discover it. Yeah. Well, why don't, why don't you tell us about some of your own experiences with the power of pause? Yeah. And because those are the practical things, aren't they? That's the, that's where the, you know, they say that, is it the rubber, it's the road sort of Rubber, thing. Yeah. Meets the road. <laughs> yeah. Meets the road. So, yeah, I mean, I can think in, instantly of, of, of one in particular. I, my parents came to visit me when I was at Bible college, my wife and I, and my, my daughters were there. My parents came to visit. My name is Wikes, Rob Wikes, W-Y-K-E-S. Now, in the UK, that, there's a word called Wike, which is actually there's a cheese named Wike. I don't own the company. But there's also a place called Wike Bay. And so I wanted to take my parents to visit this bay. And they we tried and they weren't walkers and we never got there. If you imagine it's... It, a, a wike bay and the word wike means a secluded bay which is inaccessible from land and generally only accessible from the sea and so long story short is that i eventually went to that bay with my wife and it was really difficult to get down to the bottom and when we got there um we experienced and i think we both at the same time experienced this real sense that we were in a place that virtually nobody else had got to. So very inaccessible. We were alone and it was still and silent. And I know that personally for me, and my wife would probably give you the same story, there was a sense in which we were where no one else could ever be and we experienced something which was not physical, emotional or mental. And the reason I like that story is it reminds me that you do have to do something to get to where you're going. But when you get there, you know that it's not the thing that you did that got you there, if that makes sense. It's beyond, it's beyond where our mind and our body can go. It's one of those things where it's like people will go, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. And you you can you're like I can't tell you what that is. <laughs> yeah. So so in so some people will describe this as in fact just yeah some people will describe this as as the thin curtain where where heaven I use the word heaven eternity you know the spiritual realm the thin curtain that we get to but we never quite go through into it and so there's it's a space where the physical, the mental um, might bring us towards it, but we don't actually enter it in that way. We go through with our spirit. Um, and uh, another way, I suppose, um, to describe it is, is when we get to the total end of all our questions and discover there is no questions. Uh, yeah. it's, it's not a mental act. It's a spiritual, it's a spiritual experience, which is why... Uh, Bede Griffiths spoke about eventually we get to a place where we understand if we want to use the phrase God, um, God um, can be reached out towards with our intellect, with our prayer, with our feelings, whatever. But what, what will never happen is God will not inhabit those things because God inhabits the spirit, not the thought world and not the emotional world. And so when I say pause, a spiritual power, it's it's that that's beyond and the pauses it's not what we stop it's what it's what comes after and it's not what we do it's what comes beyond it if that makes sense 
Um, there's another there's another book called Halfway to Heaven, which I love. And it's about the Carthusian um, monks. If you've ever if you want to read about Carthusian monks, they're the ninja monks. They're really, uh, they're, you know, they're really tough people. And they they read the Psalms and liturgy and do all kinds of we might call them religious things. There's a great phrase in, in that book by a guy called Robin Lockhart. And, and he puts in the liturgy, the Carthusian seems. So, again, the, the liturgy is a vehicle that they use to get into a spiritual place. In the liturgy, the Carthusian seems to be projected by this sacred power to a point where eternity meets the temporal existence. So pause a spiritual power is when we get to that, that place at the edge of eternity and experience it. And, and the reason that I'm quite animated about it is because we come to realise that if we are talking about, you mentioned quantum physics, if we're talking about something that we know we can't fully explain, that is not an intellectual perception, we may, we may use our intellect to bring us close to it. But in order to enter it and experience it, it can't be experienced by the intellect. And so we come back from a moment of pause, which many people do, maybe don't call it that. We come back from a moment of pause and then we try to describe it with our intellectual capacities. And, and you know, so for, for me, for instance, I, I was at a funeral, uh, not a funeral, I was, I was uh, spreading the ashes to uh, take funerals for people. And uh, when I was a railway chaplain, I was on the track, literally at a train station, it was a it was a guy who passed on. He'd been cremated and his wife and children wanted me to scatter his ashes on the track side where he worked for many, many years, about 50 years. So, you know, you get the scene. I'm spreading the ashes onto the track and saying, you know, all the words that you would say. And, and unfortunately, a gust of wind came as a result of another train. You can read about this in more detail in my book. But it was an incident in life, an experience, a circumstance that cried out for me to give a, a response from my mind. To, it was something funny happened. Basically, the ashes blew as they were being poured out from my arm in this in the little casket. The ashes actually got caught by the wind and blew across all of the mourners. So it's a great, it would have been a great scene in a film because this poor chap's ashes were just all over his children's skirts and trousers and um, <laughs> even a little bit on my face. And so when that happened, I, I remember I've had many experiences like that when, you know, you, got, you think I've got to stop, I've got to think, I've got to say something meaningful. But I had a, an experience there where because I practice moments of pause, because I practice spiritual exercises in order to bring myself close to what it must be like to then enter that space, because I, I, I've spent a bit of my life doing that, in that moment, instead of looking in my own mind for answers or screaming out internally, what can I do in this circumstance? I experienced a pause. I stopped thinking, stopped feeling, and I allowed the spirit in me to just dwell, to, to be present. And I came out of that experience or out of that moment in the spirit, and I was able to, to do whatever I did. It kind of doesn't matter what I did. What, it, what matters is that I myself no longer was subject to my emotional experience and my mental experience. And the reason that I wanted to share that story is because so much of our lives is dominated by the fear of the past, the fear of the present and the fear of the future. Or we get entangled and enmeshed in all of that stuff to do with what should I do? Where should I be? What should I look like? Now, when you get into the spiritual realm and the thing about the spirit in us, which I think is really, really crucial, is my body can be repaired. It can be improved and my mind can be repaired and improved and grow to an extent. Of course, we get old. Um, but I always consider the spirit within us. You and I have a spirit which is 
absolutely fixed in its position. It doesn't decay. Your spirit isn't go, doesn't need improving. It doesn't need uh, growing. It just needs experiencing. And I, isn't that a wonderful thought that everything about our lives and the world that we live in cries out, you should do better. You could look better. You could be cleverer. You could be more successful. And what I absolutely love about the spirit that's in us, it's absolutely fixed and complete, cannot and doesn't need to be improved. It's not subject to our emotions. It's not subject um, to the whims of our thoughts. Isn't that beautiful that that part of us exists? And when we pause and enter into that spiritual realm, we'll experience a power that's so much better than just a clever thought and a good idea. Yes, I think that's beautiful. I do love the story of the funeral, the railway station funeral. I, I do think that'd be a great comedy. I can actually see that. And I'm also thinking through how exactly what you say, that we're really fixated on the external. There's so many things out there to tell us that we're not good enough. We're not pretty enough. We're not handsome enough. We're not mature enough. We're not whatever enough. And that there's all the stuff out there that can fill us. And it's just kind of like, it's, it reminds me of like the sirens in Odysseus. <laughs> it's like something that we're addicted to that we can't pull away from, that we're, we're stuck in this consciousness of external input and worrying about what's not adequate about us when the real truth is we're absolutely magnificent. We're, we're God-infused. We have a divine spark. We are completely amazing. And wow, that, that's the place where we really, really fully take hold of the Spirit and let the Spirit take hold of us. I also want to just point out in your book that you, I'm going to try to remember the name of the people who climbed the mountains. Munro Baggers. Monroe Baggers. Okay. All right. So why, why don't you explain a little bit what, what a Monroe Bagger is, and then I'll quote this in your book. Okay. Yeah. So, so in the UK, we don't have very high mountains in the UK, but particularly in Scotland, the very north of the UK, they have, they have uh, um, hills, mountains, small mountains, which are above a thousand feet, I think it is. And they'll, uh, there are, I can't remember, but there's, there's a lot of them, hundred of them or so, and a Munro bagger is a person who climbs to the top of each one, and the the idea is that you bag them all. You know, it's like collecting um, a mountain top, um, and of course, you as you know, people get obsessed with doing stuff like that, and they're never ever satisfied. You know, and I'm sure when they've finished here, they'll come to Colorado and try and get all the the fourteeners. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So that's what a Monroe bagger is, yeah. Someone who likes to climb up. Yeah, my brother-in-law's bagged all the 14,000s and the 13,000s in Colorado. But he actually does it with pause. It's a real experience for him. But here's a quote about what pauses: A space between our normal rational approach to life and the spiritual world at the very edge of all we can imagine, a world just at the fingertips of our mortal grasp. And then a few pages later, you said, but many of us are wired to press on. In doing so, we miss the promise of a memorable moment. This is how some of us do life. We barely break our stride. Even when standing before us, there's a wonderful invitation to stop and allow our spirit to draw life in. In our thirst for the next summit of life, we can at times pass over the encounter with the spiritual. And I just really, really completely get that. It's like this hamster wheel that we're, we've been indoctrinated a being on, the, the accomplishment, the setting of goals, the having a purpose, the yeah. what's next for you. We, we've almost been convinced that our life has no meaning unless we're, we have a purpose and a goal and something to accomplish. And all of those things are great things. But if we miss the the pausing at the summit and taking in the beauty of the world and the spiritual and the actual transcendent moment that we're having there and go on to the next one, then we've missed so much of life. 
Absolutely, yes. In fact, the story of the Munro baggers is that I share in the book is the is the one of the guy who just gets to the top and actually can without without breaking stride tick it off and move on to the next one. And you think you've just put all that effort in to climb there. You're not even going to look. In fact, I think somewhere around the same chapter, I make a quote, an absolutely true quote, that my wife and I were in a place called the Hole of Hawkeye. Again, just a very, very scenic place. And we we stood and, and took in a deep breath, as you do. And my wife said, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget it. She said, this does for my soul what a good meal does for my stomach. Mm. And I, I always remember thinking that, yeah, something fills us physically in a really good meal. Um, some things fill our intrigue and our mind. There is a part of us, our soul, our spirit, that is filled with something else. But that something else, which leads us back almost to the beginning, that something else, I hasten to say, does come as a result of climbing the mountain, of saying the prayer, of sitting in silence, of of reading the books, of going through these. These things are vehicles. People sometimes say to me, is Pause of Spiritual Power a Christian book because you're a Christian? And I say, no, absolutely not. Um, it's a, It's about every human being has the capacity, because to be human is to have a spirit within them, has the capacity to experience their spirit. As a practicing Christian, I have discovered that my, if you like my Christian faith, has given me a vehicle in which to travel, to, to discover the mountaintop, to experience the gateway to spirituality. And I know that others, millions of others, discover the spirit within them through other routes. I, I can't deny that. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it's exciting as I, I do it through my own Christian expression. But yeah, really important that is. But back to your point, you you read something there about the which I did write, which was the it's at the tip of our mortal grasp, and that image to me that sums it up. Um, it's at the tip of our mortal grasp. We reach out with everything we have, but it is at the end of everything that we have we discover spirituality. And ironically, a traditional belief system of an awful lot of religions actually is that ultimately we you know our body dies and we enter into this promised land into heaven into the other world into the next phase but what we instinctively sense is there is something beyond our mortality which i think is absolutely beautiful because it it reminds me certainly for me as a person of faith that you know everything at the moment is sort of flawed and patchy and sketchy but there'll be this utter clarity that comes in many texts, and certainly in the Christian text, there's this description of shedding the body. In Pilgrim's Progress, you know, the great book Pilgrim's Progress written by John Bunyan, I always remember in the at the end of it, it talks about the great words. He says, as he gets to, to, to die, really, you know, as he gets to the gates of heaven, he says, I'll now be able to, and I would say experience, I'll now be able to experience God in the way I always desired, but couldn't because the flesh held me back. And I think it's getting past this mortal grip, this mortal reach. Um, but without the reach, we're going to experience nothing. So I, again, I keep saying, please carry on reaching and reaching and reaching because we do get there. Um, but not in a goal sense. Yeah, reaching and, and I think noticing too. I think a lot of yeah. it's just noticing and, and pausing to notice. There, there are two things I want to pick up from what you just Please. said before we go on. What, one is, I, I think it's really interesting to think about feeding the soul, feeding the spirit, that we, we are fixated on feeding our body. <laughs> We're always constantly thinking about food and beverage and how to feed it. And, and we do fixate on or satisfy our mind either through reading or research or education, or even I, I could think possibly, possibly our mind is fed through television and movies. I'm not sure about that. But to ask yourself every day, did I feed my soul? You know, 
it, it, and what is, you know, even imagine in your own mind, what does my soul look like today? Is it going, feed me? <laughs> I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. I, I just think I'm going to play with that image of, you know, every day feeding the body, feeding the mind and feeding the soul that she also wants food. Yes, she absolutely she does. In, interestingly, so there's another chapter in Paul's uh, A Spiritual Power about what about my journey across Pakistan. I reflect in there of, of a moment in my own experience when I, I became physically unwell. Absolutely, clearly, I was physically unwell, and I was probably quite depressed. And I'm not. I'm not a person. I'm very fortunate. I'm not a person that struggled with depression. Um, I've got lots of people around me, actually, very, very close friends and family members who struggle with depression. So I understand it and I know I know what it is. And when I was in Pakistan, I was traveling on this train and I just progressively got more ill. But I also sensed that I was having a, if you like, a spiritual depression, a, a sense of a lack of life in the spirit within me. And, and I, in that chapter, I do talk about getting to the point of recognizing your, your body needs feeding, your mind needs feeding, but your spirit also does. And I actually put in the phrase, which is what triggered what you just said there for me. I, I say, don't, uh, there's a sense in which our spirit is sometimes crying out, don't forget me. Because we, we, because we, we just forget the spirit so easily. And it's because the immediate is always the loudest voice. My physical hunger, my my desire to know more seems to have the loudest voice. And that's why when somebody says to me and they're right to say it, can you be a bit more practical, Rob? Tell me what I'm, what do I do? What do I need to do? I've got a great friend, Paul, and he use, he uses a terrible phrase. He just says, well, shut up. <laughs> um, and, it, and he's actually quite right. He, he, what we need to do is discover stillness and silence. And it's not about being shut up as, as Paul was saying, but stillness and silence are a real great description of when when we've stopped doing and stopped um having a conversation. So, uh, you know, one of the things that some people have picked me up on the book is that I mentioned that. I question how much of our prayer life, for those that have a prayer life, you know, have a belief in a deity, how much of it is just an internal conversation in our own head? And because we're, we are taught to come along with a list. Aunt May needs a new leg, you know, and Uncle Fred's car's broke down and the church needs a new clock. You know, and then if we get really deep and profound, we might start saying, oh, and I'm not a very nice person. I'd like to be a better person. Somewhere at the end of that list, we're still and silent. And then the voice of God comes in. And it's the, that's when the spirit, you know, there's a famous apocryphal story. I'm sure it's apocryphal, but um, a great story of the great monk who is believed to spend 15 or whatever hours it is a day praying and in meditation. And somebody asks, actually, how long do you pray for? And the monk says, oh, 15 minutes. And of course, the retort is 15 minutes for such a great spiritual giant. And the answer is, it takes me 15 hours to get to that 15 minutes. So that's another thing about pausing. If we want to spiritual, if I want to go in the Olympics and win a gold medal, which is highly unlikely because although this is um, a podcast, I can tell you with confidence I've got a bald head, a fat body, and I'm 62 <laughs> years old. Um, so the gold medal era has probably moved on. But if I wanted to, I'd have to apply myself. I'd have to put some energy and effort in. And if I want to do a PhD, I'm going to have to give it some serious welly. So if I want to experience the spirit and the spirit within me, if I want to enter into that realm, then I'm going to have to take a different approach than starving or feeding my body or reading books. It's something else. Kind of circles back to that thing I said earlier that it's a different category of activity and it requires us to behave differently. And, you know, we just talked a moment ago about how frenzied we are of success and and subduing things and building things and 
becoming something. Well, actually, the realm of the spiritual is totally the opposite, which is why I suspect that Jesus and Buddha and Mahatma Gandhi and all these great people we look at in the past, they were humble and quiet. They didn't want to possess lots of things. Simple life, very simple life. Well, you while you were talking about prayer and how we have a whole list of things that we go into prayer with and how we do a lot of talking, I was thinking about Jesus saying, ask and it will be given. And we confuse that with asking for the new car or the clock for the church or whatever. But what if the ask is, I, I'm asking for that connection, that mystical experience. I'm asking for the pause, the what's beyond my grasp. I, I'm asking to have that experience. Ask and that will be given. I completely agree. And I, I suspect that ultimately is our our direction of prayer. The the great the Lord's Prayer is all about giving stuff up, preferring mm -hmm. the other, recognizing in, interestingly, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's interesting language. We don't use it so much now. But actually to pray, your kingdom come. And then to read through you know, the scripture or whatever, you you realize that that kingdom is not a physical kingdom. It's not a kingdom of tanks and guns, a kingdom of politics. Jesus didn't carry a purse. He wasn't very good with his choice of who to carry the purse. We realize that now. But he, you know, I think he, he was intentional. He knew what he was doing. He so. <laughs> <laughs> didn't carry a purse and you know, give unto Caesar what is Caesar, it says in the Bible, you know, and actually, if you need the coin to pay your taxes, it comes out of a fish's mouth. I'll have to try that next time. I've got to pay my tax. But, <laughs> but you know, that whole principle that, in a sense, the spiritual realm is not the same as the physical material realm. And, and we, have to, we have to approach it differently. In a, in a sense, which is why I think 30 years ago, I sort of came to that realisation that, it isn't what I believe and it isn't what I do. It's what I am. And, and you know, there's a man called Oswald Chambers who's a, a prolific speaker, a Scottish minister who sadly died in the First World War. But he said, particularly with God, he said, with God, it's never do and you will be. It's be and God will do through you. So the greatest, the greatest impact we can have almost is to it isn't quite true this but it's almost to do less not more and you you find that in life sometimes you interfere i wonder if i wonder if, if god is whichever way we describe god but i wonder if god is frustrated that we keep getting in the way and not allowing the the power the spiritual power that exists in the universe to have a foothold and a say which I suspect is why Jesus said, let the kingdom come. You know, allow the spiritual power to have more of a say and your influence and power to have less of a say. And I think that may be when I speak of the word pause, a spiritual power. And the reason I, you know, my, the book, although that's the title, I put a hyphen between it, may not mean much to some people, but it's kind of pause those things and then experience the spiritual power. So at the end of your mortal grasp is the spiritual realm. And, and in, we talk about prayer. At the end of our prayers, we discover God. It, it, it's, it's a bit like a parent might sometimes say to a child when they've, you know, my grandson sometimes sits down and he gives me a list of what he wants for Christmas. You know, he's, he's probably planning it already. <laughs> I want this, this, this. When he's finished, I'll tell him what he's going to have. <laughs> Which is why I, I, I keep saying to people, please don't give up what you're doing, but don't, don't look for something to inhabit the thing you're doing. It's, that isn't it. So, for instance, my prayer is not it. The answer is it. The answer is separate to the prayer in a sense. And, the, and my prayer is about a conversation with God. So actually what I'm really doing when I pray is I'm having a relationship. Right. 
And the relationship is enough without an answer. I used to say when I was a, a pulpit minister, I used to talk about how we, we would approach God like as a friend you're having coffee with, and prayer is the conversation. So would you spend all that time just asking for stuff no. <laughs> of your friend? <laughs> you, you think that's what your friend wants to be with you, just to hear, I want this, I need this, I need that? We all have friends like that, right? It's like, yes. I just really want to be with you. I don't want to hear all your complaints. <laughs> we should just come with this kind of uh, surrendered heart. Yes, and and sometimes you have to get it out, don't you? I I used to do a lot of cycling, li less now. And in fact, I, one of the illustrations that I often give to people just to, to, for pause is is that I used to, I still do to some extent. I do circular cycle routes, and when I first moved into this area thirty years ago, I would go out with a map. Didn't have Google Maps. I didn't have a mobile phone. I would go out with a map, and I would do a circular route of 40 or 50 miles on my bike and I would get to a junction. I'd look at the map. I'd go, do I go left? Do I go right? And get to the next junction, left or right. And it would take me ages to get round, but also I'd have to keep checking what I should do. Eventually I've got so familiar with the routes that I didn't bother with a map. And so two things happened. One is I could go for my cycle route in a familiar pattern through and going past places that were familiar to me without worrying about whether I should turn left or right, just get on with it. So I enjoyed the journey much more. And I saw much more on the journey because I didn't need to worry about the junction. Am I looking left or right? And what's that all about, Rob? Well, that's all about, I suggest to people that they find themselves patterns that they can that they've got can create in their lives so that you regularly do something you regularly visit prayer you regularly meditate you regularly you know sit watching a tree grow and it's in those things and the familiarity of them that we do let go a bit like praying i think the story of the guy that prayed you know spent 15 hours to get to 15 minutes is the true story that we do it every time we do it. We start with our list, we get past our list. We start with our list, we get past the list, and eventually we don't start with the list anymore. Mm -hmm. We move we move more seamlessly into the sense of the spirit within us. And that that's really for me is the way forward for us to experience moments of pause and discover the power that's within it. Mm-hmm. We just have probably five more minutes. I want to pivot just a little bit to you're talking about, gosh, there's so many places to go, but I'm thinking that I want to talk about oneness. And you say this on page 139. It is an important point to distinguish between a oneness, which says we are all really the same thing, and a oneness in which individuals are experiencing a unity of experience. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is because as I was reading your book and as I listened to you talking about pause, of course, I'm reflecting on my own life, my own experiences of pause. And, and one that I can remember pretty vividly was, oh gosh, I think it was 2018. I can't remember, several years ago. And I went with my youngest daughter to a small town in North Carolina to experience a solar eclipse. It was actually kind of like a bucket list thing. The intention was just a little bit more like like the... The, the Monroe bagger. That's how it started out. But it, it was so interesting that when the town completely darkened and there were, I don't know, hundreds of people there, there was some very transcendent experience that happened. It was so interesting. I can't explain it at all, but it was kind of a oneness experience it was almost like we're all chattering, da, 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 and then suddenly everybody was quiet and having this transcendent experience together. And I just really thought about that when I read that quote about oneness and also the idea of pause. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's so many things this whole topic throws up and we tend to find ourselves wanting to to clarify and be on a side, as it were, you know, do so. The question I will often be asking is, do, so do I believe we're all part of one spirit? And actually, my answer is no, I, I don't believe that at all. I believe we uh, have an individual spirit within us. But 
but I have to say, I believe that we are created beings. And therefore, I think that the spirit that is in me was placed there by God, by the one. If, if That's a great phrase, <laughs> the one. And I think when you describe that experience, I've had a similar one. Last year, my, my daughter and I decided to watch the sun rise on a, a hill not far from here and it was great you know we we trekked up there we went there in the middle of the night and sat freezing cold on the on blankets and then realized there was 50 or 60 other people had the same idea um, and it was interesting because I, I did notice too that people were talking and there's even a couple of dogs barking and um, there was a noise and then as the sun appeared I mean, it's a majestic picture, and we've all seen them on the, on occasions. As I said, appeared, everyone was silent. And you, you, there was a sense of unity. But I suspect that was a unity, possibly a spiritual experience, but they were individual experiences. Mm-hmm. Happened at the same time. And in my book, Paul's uh, Spiritual Power, there is a whole chapter dedicated to that. Is it possible? And it's based on some observations that I made of two pilgrims that that did a long pilgrim trek who embraced each other. And I I observed and I read into that, that that there's a great question. I have a spirit. You have a spirit. Is it possible that in the way that we can, you know, my wife and I can physically be entwined, I can be intellectually engaged with another person. And, you know, when we say we're on the same page. Um, is it possible that the spirit in one person and the spirit in another person can also have a meeting or an acknowledgement, a recognition? And I think that's, I think that must be possible. And I think that is part of what it means to acknowledge transcendence, to acknowledge the divine. You know, and, and many, many writers would say God in all of us, um, uh, God in everything. Uh, God is in a blade of grass, but I don't believe that blade of grass has got the same spirit as I have. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that that oneness discussion is quite interesting, can take us in an interesting direction. Now, I mean, I mean, could I just share finally a thought that is very practical? You know, I often think about, so how do I get there? Where do I travel? What should I do? And there are two words that come to me quite frequently is do have expectation we must we must expect something to happen if you're going to sit on a mountaintop or by a stream or pray or reach out with the core of your being for a spiritual encounter do expect something to happen and a spiritual encounter i think is the word um but i have to say i want to always remind myself my expectation isn't going to determine that it will happen my, so it's it's an oxymoron, is it? You know, you know when it, my expectation has to be there, but it it won't determine it, and it won't define the encounter. So if I've got a lot of expectation or less expectation, that's not going to define the encounter. And then the other word is is to wait. Mm-hmm. Seek seek out a place for silence or stillness or whatever it is. And and the 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 thing that comes to me very powerfully is. I've heard this several times and I follow it all the time. If somebody presses a key on a piano or any note, really, on any instrument, but always a piano, you hit a key on a piano. If you listen to the sound, you can follow that sound until it ends. And at the end of that sound, what is there? There is there is silence. So if we can find a way to strike a note inside us, that we then follow, I think we will discover at the end of that that note, we will discover the spirit within us, and then we'll know what transcendence really is. Ah, that's a great thing to end on. (laughs) Thank you, Rob. That was fabulous. I'm going to have all of your links to your book and I don't know, whatever else you want, your website, whatever, on the, the web page for this podcast. And I, I think I'll have you back because we never touched on Auschwitz and I want to talk about that, but I'll have you back later so that we can go into that and some other aspects of your life experiences. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. Real pleasure. Real pleasure sharing with you.
It was really fun. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, everybody. And I now close the spiritual forum. But first, don't forget to pause <laughs> this week and go to the end of the note and listen for the silence and wait. I love that. So please join me next week with my next guest. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being. Thank you.